Hello and welcome to Handball in Numbers, the Handballistics podcast. My name is Mark Hawkins and I'm here with Julian Rooks. Hi Mark. The game of the day was, of course, the final between Denmark and France today. Um, Denmark was behind the whole game, at times even by six goals. Uh, however, they fought back and had a chance to equalize in the final attack. But France managed to steal the ball and throw the winning empty net goal to make it 25-23. The top scorers were Mikkel Hansen with nine for Denmark and Nedim Remili with five for the gold medal winners. Okay, so today we're joined by a, a very uh, special guest. We have Nikolai Krigau, head coach from Gilgi. Handball in Denmark and obviously coach for Matthias Gisler and his club side. Uh, Nikolai, welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for having and me. And pleasure to have you. And just for obviously from your point of view, a, a unfortunate result uh, in the end for Denmark today. But what were your what were your main takes from the game? What stood out to you? Clearly, it wasn't what the Danes was hoping for, but I have to uh, to say that the French uh, team delivered almost a perfect match. Uh, I really think that they were able to get uh, the control in the game. Uh, they played with such a great discipline throughout all the match. There were there were only five minutes where Ken Sang Mahé, yeah, were playing Ken Sang Mahé play during the second half, middle of the second half. But overall, they played with such a great discipline and uh, and were able to to keep Denmark away from uh, from having their moments to get the, the flow they needed. Uh, and of course, the headline from Denmark was that they made too many mistakes. But I really think that many of those mistakes were were forced by the control and discipline that the French team was playing with. So big congratulations to uh, to the French team. Statistically, when we look at the game, there wasn't. Um... So many areas where there were bad performances, so to speak. You know, it's two great teams playing, you know, one of the biggest games in the world. And, and it showed. But I think one thing that's that you mentioned a little bit, the kind of the mistakes and yeah, Denmark had 11 technical mistakes compared to six from France. But the other interesting fact uh, for us that stood out was that France gained six rebounds or extra chances to shoot an attack where... Denmark only got one. In the game, France ended up in a, a game with a, a low tempo, a low pace. France were able to have 11 more shots than Denmark. I think if we would see that it was just 10 more technical mistakes, it would be maybe a bit more criticism to Denmark or definitely an area to uh, that was more of a focus. But because it was five mistakes and five offensive rebounds, how do you see that? Obviously, in handball, when the ball's bouncing off the goalkeeper or the post, there's a bit of luck involved, but can you plan for it? Can you do something about it? I think it's always important, and therefore uh, your your job is very important. It's always important to break away uh, the, the feelings from the facts, and therefore uh, sometimes it is just luck. But today, I really, really think that the French team deserved many of the rebounds, especially the situation in the first half where I don't know if it's Miguel who will, uh, uh, it's Mensa who tried to push away the ball from seven meter, and Les Anderson uh, yeah, tried to catch the ball, but uh, Fabregas just showed uh, the way and, and made the catch just after the, the fast break from Kiku. So, so today, I think they, they really deserved many of the rebounds. It wasn't just luck. But I think your point about the pace is quite interesting because 11 technical mistakes, uh, sometimes you can live with that if you are a team who can normally create good chances. But in a low pace game, which it was today because of the, the big discipline of, of France, 
uh, I think 11 technical mistakes is, you know, it's about 20% of the attacks. So it is many. So, so today it was quite important for the French team to stay uh, low on pace. And uh, when they, at the same time, uh, managed to be so physical in both ends and, uh, and keep Denmark away from playing the, the concept they wanted to play, then it, it was just too, too difficult to, for Denmark. You already mentioned pace and the controlled game by, by France. As you said, it was very low pace. Especially interesting is that the, the possession length for France was over 10 seconds longer um, than their previous average, which is about or more than 30%. Do you think that it was just, well, that it was just so important because it was the adaption to the Danish game? Or maybe it was better for, the, for France itself because they can play out their strengths then more when they keep the, the game slow paced? Yeah, I'm very sure that the French team uh, felt comfortable when they uh, were coming home six against six today. Uh, normally, France all, also uh, live very good with the fast breaks, and they were especially in the first half uh, impressive good in the in the second phase, also during the tournament, especially with Kabatits, of course. Uh, but today, uh, I think their best chance was to hope uh, that Mikkel uh, Hansen doesn't come to the good shots from distance because they really stayed passive on him today so they can uh, yeah, stay close on uh, on Holm and, uh, and Gisel. Uh, and when Mikkel don't, uh, were willing uh, to open the, the game from distance today, then uh, France really uh, were even more focused, just stay uh, with the ball, play along and then come home. As you said, Mikkel Hansen, well, he just shot two of six from, from nine meters. He obviously scored uh, nine goals altogether, but five of them were seven meters and just two of six from backcourt from nine meters. Obviously, the, the uh, Matthias Gitzel played another really, really great game. But do you think that, especially in offense, Gitzel and Hansen didn't have enough help today? Because especially in the first half, there were only two other players that scored, as Rasmus Boysen tweeted. Yeah, I think I think they had. I was a little surprised that when Morten uh, Olsen was uh, arriving, it's not unusual that he will arrive late in tournaments. I was sure that when they got uh, when they started playing seven against six, that will be the job for Morten. He hasn't played six against six at all before the last 15 minutes in the in this tournament, and he could be the guy who helped Mikkel uh, to come to better shots. Mensa uh, managed to get better chances to Mikkel in the semi-final. But overall in the tournament, Denmark has played uh, on other things, you know, Holm, Gisel one against one, and then uh, Mikkel to just open the court. In this game, they needed Mikkel to open more on shots, and therefore he, uh, he of course, has a, a big responsibility himself as well. He has to do more. And I actually think that Mikkel was slowing down the, the fast break situation, especially in the second half, too much. Uh, when they have so uh, so big trouble, six against six, uh, they should have to focus more on, on getting the, the fast break goals. And there, therefore, I think, yes, Mikkel was needing uh, a playmaker to helping him today, but but also a big responsibility uh, on, Mikkel, on Mikkel's own performance. You mentioned there about kind of the lack of fast break opportunities for, for Denmark. And... And that's been a feature throughout the tournament. It suited them with the attack and defense changes they make. And also, when we spoke with uh, Erasmus Boysen earlier in the tournament, he was saying that Denmark haven't needed to so much because they get such good quality of shots in their set attack. And if they can't do it six against six, they play seven against six. There was two times I remember in the first half where France had a player injured or down when Denmark were coming six against five on the uh, on the arrival phase and they still didn't or weren't able to take advantage of that. 
I mean, we it's been such a strong tournament from Denmark throughout, but do you see that as possibly the area of maybe not weakness, but that could add another dimension in, in games like this? Uh, I really think it's unusual that they don't make chances on 16 and 5, and you know, the referee had to stop the games after a long time. Uh, so I think three times during the match, they had a chance just to, to roll over. And that's very interesting because right here, the data and the facts is, you know, just half the truth. Because, of course, the last thing we, uh, we need to talk about is the mental things about uh, in, this, in this game. And I think it's, it's actually a quite good uh, reminder to all of us that even though uh, you have players on the Danish team who has won everything, Sven has won everything. Mikkel has won almost everything, and so on. You still, uh, yeah, can be nervous. Uh, and I think the Danish team played too nervous today. They didn't uh, hit the momentum to to uh, to come back in the match. They had uh, a small situation in uh, in the second half to uh, I don't know 16 and four because of the suspension of France, and they were close to finding the uh, the momentum. But I I think they they played too much with the handbrake uh, today. Um, obviously, while we have you here, we should talk about Matthias Kissel. And it's been, maybe it's wrong to say, but probably before the, the World Championships in Egypt, he wasn't such a well-known player outside of Denmark. Obviously, you've had him uh, in the club side. He's such an interesting player statistically because he's a back player who, through this tournament, has, if you take away Miguel Hansen's um, seven-meter shots, They've shot pretty much the same amount from the court. Giesel has taken, I think, six shots from nine metres and Miguel has taken nearly 30, I think it is. For a backcourt player to take that many shots, but from such good positions, is so rare. And from our point of view as statisticians, we would say we want every back player to take the shots that Giesel does. How many Giesels can you play with? Can you play with three as a backcourt? Can you play with two? Do you need a Miguel Hansen to open up the space for Gissel? Uh, what's your What's your opinion? If you had three in Georgie, would you play with three? Yeah, we tried sometimes to play with three, you know, Morten Olsen and Jimmy yeah. Frutig as well. But uh, but you are you are on the point, Mark, because clearly handball is just a complex relation game, you know, uh, and if. If they didn't manage to to open up the space uh, for Gisel's uh, one against one situations, Gisel has to shoot more from distance, and I think six shots from distance is, um, uh, I think, five more than uh, than the World Championship, <laughs> and maybe six shots from distance is the same uh, amount that he will have in a whole season uh, in Gioge. So it is quite interesting. But I think you know the Danish team has tried to come up with two uh, types, uh, two players at the same time. Uh, you know, with Holm and Kiesel, uh, one against one players, and Mikkel just to be the you know playmaker uh, who are opening the field. So that's maybe the right number, but I don't think there is a face it. But of course, I think it's very interesting to look at um, you know the circle of life, if you can say it uh, that way. You know, we we have had so many years now where the players anthropometrically are becoming bigger and bigger, and when uh, when there are not uh, more space in the field. Then you have to go around and say, okay, then we need an, another type of players, you know, uh, Stas Hube, Kendrich, and so on. And all, now also Gisle in the backcourt positions. So maybe in a few years, there will be more and more smaller players again. And then the circle of life will uh, will go again and we will <laughs> hit some bigger players one more time. Because you actually saw today that the French team was so 
uh, brilliant in the first half to put up the line players two against two with Gisel in the field, you know. And that dilemma that Denmark always tried to put on the other defense, you know. If you go up to Mikkel, then you open up the space to Holm and Gisel. Today, the French team stayed down and there was a small area to Gisel and Holm. And then the other end, the French team did exactly the same. You know, okay, we, if we play the line player on Gisel, then the number three in defense, Faustrup or, or Top, have to stay a little closer on Gisel. And then the French team has Remali or DKMM one against one with Mergo. So actually, the French team uh, are doing exactly the same just with a line player instead of a shooter uh, in, in, the, in the left side. It's, it's very interesting and, I mean, fascinating insight. And you started to touch on one of the other things I wanted to ask about there is that France, during the tournament up until the quarterfinals, had made every other team's goalkeeper perform much lower you know, goalkeepers against France were saving about 18%, which is a big difference from the from the second team. And a lot of this also for France is they shoot more shots from nine metres than most other teams, and they do it at a higher percentage, which is kind of the opposite to Giesel, but almost equally as impressive. Mem and Remily and Karabatic and these players are obviously high, high-quality players. Is it purely individual quality or do you see something in the way France approached the game as well, which creates better nine metre chances or better opportunities for them to score as well? Yeah, I definitely think that they create better nine metre chances than, than the rest of the tournament because, you know, they, they don't have any shooters, directly shooters. And Gassan is the, is the only one who can shoot from, you know, maybe 12 metres on his good days. They all, I think when you look at it statistically, Eight meter shots, seven and a half meter shots, uh, also fold out as a nine meter shot in the in the statistics because it's a shot from distance. But you watch the game today; they were so so great, world class France in pushing uh, their physical uh, level into the crosses. They made uh, Mulgaard, Top, Southup uh, make blocks on six meters. So you know, shot from distance today was I think seven meters, and you know, Landin was great. Landin was very great and it put the French performance today into a great perspective that even though Landin was performing on a very high level, uh, they were still quite much better than Denmark today. So it was quite impressive. But uh, the opening question, if France didn't have just uh, simple shooters. They are one against one uh, middle distance players, a uh, world class, definitely. But I think uh, they have played more speed into, this, into the one against one situations in this tournament than they have last three, four tournaments. So big, big difference on the way they are, uh, they are playing the attack. Yeah, and it, it should be said as well. I mean, I mentioned earlier that France had forced other goalkeepers to perform at about 18% and, and Nicolas Landin was up at about 33 or 34%, I think it was. So, you know, that shows the quality of his performance as well. But yeah, you know, fantastic, uh, fantastic stuff there. I've got one last question um, about Matthias Gitzel his style or his playing style is this something that has just well developed naturally or is this something that was a result of many years of, of target-oriented coaching i think the the correct answer will be that uh, when you are head coach in the senior team you always try to look what will give us short-term results uh, so from a senior perspective we we saw the one against one and the tactical level of Gisel 
and we tried to create our uh, you know uh, our concept to give him so much situations who look like just the same situations that uh, that Denmark would give him. So it's a result of that he is so good at what he does. Uh, and then when we have a player like this, of course, our concept will will be uh, added uh, and you know adapted to his uh, way of play. But it's an interesting story because you know when he was 15, everybody told him that he would go on to be a right wing because he was too small. And then, People even uh, said luckily, that during the during the world uh, world championship yeah, in, exactly. in January. And and that uh, I must say, uh, impressive performance by our our uh, talent academy in Oa. Uh, they they uh, saw his tactical skills and say he is too good in a tactical uh, on the, his tactical level to stay on the wing. So we we will give it the chance. He can always be a wing, but of course his tactical level, his speed, um, made uh, made so big difference early in his career. So uh, so right now it's just a, a matter of how much time we can keep him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I hope for you that that it's as long as possible. Um, but of yeah. course, it would be also great to see him. Well, for me as a German in the Bundesliga, of course. <laughs> yeah, but it's very interesting because, of course, I have the GOG glasses on. But you know, if you can perform and be a key player, top high level in the greatest tournament while you are playing in Denmark, mm-hmm. maybe you don't have to uh, to be so busy going down, sit in a bus, and <laughs> and uh, you know uh, have an even harder uh, schedule than we have in Denmark. So. Uh, Yeah, of course he should. At some point in his career, he has to earn his money and uh, and go for the bigger stages and uh, and the big experience uh, long in the European tournaments and in Bundesliga. But uh, but it's very interesting from our recruiting point of view that you are able to to compete in the highest level even though you are playing in the, in the Danish league and Geoge. All right. I think that's perfect uh, ending for the podcast. Thank you so much, Nikolai, for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Of course, it was a pleasure. Tomorrow, we'll be taking a look at the business end of the women's competition with the final between uh, the Russian Olympic Committee and France, a repeat of the Rio 2016 final. Until then, as always, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's at Handpolitics everywhere, where you get all the stats for all the games. Well, until then, hear you tomorrow.